Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 125 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Well, this week's episode features a fantastic photographer hailing from the Rocky Mountains of Canada, Rachel Jones-Ross. Rachel found herself obsessed with photography after a trip to photograph the Milky Way. Her life has never been the same since. Rachel and I covered a lot of fun ground this week, including her journey as a photographer, having made the transition from the academic world of psychology, her recent trip on the sailboat Maiden, where she photographed the journey and important work that that group is doing, and uh, we talked a lot about the Sony, Sony Alpha Female Creator in Residence program. And uh, yeah, be sure to check this out because it ends on September 15th. So ladies uh, with a camera, check that out and make sure you apply. And uh, we talked about a lot more. Over on Patreon, we, uh, you know, there's like 90 bonus episodes over there. And uh, this week, Rachel and I talked about our views on composites and night photography for about 25 minutes. So you'll either hate that or you'll love it. <laughs> uh, check it out. And uh, stay tuned through the end of the show to learn about upcoming guests and other things that I'm really excited to share with you, including we picked up another sponsor for our conservation award. Uh, it's uh, QT Luang. He's uh, donating a copy of his amazing Treasured Lands photo book. So stay tuned and learn all about that. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, well, Rachel Jones-Ross, thank you so much for joining us on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. We've been uh, We've been trying to make this happen for... For quite a while now, so I'm really um, happy that we were finally able to make it work um, because you have such an amazingly busy schedule and all the right for all the right reasons. Oh, um, yeah, that, and I'm extremely camera shy. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not filming. I'm not filming. <laughs> I this. know, but just the fact that people can hear my voice, I, I'm one of those people that I can't even stand to listen to my voice on on like a an answering machine. Oh, so yeah. the thought of, you know, recording this session and having it out there in the internets for everybody to listen to is, you know, it's a little daunting. Well, I will tell you that I also don't like listening to my own voice, but I get to do it every single week. So, um... <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> well, Rachel, uh, maybe before we get into all the, the fun nitty gritty topics that we have planned, Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself um, as a person and then kind of tell us a little bit about how you got into photography. Okay. Um, so I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I work and play in the Canadian Rockies around Banff and Lake Louise and Jasper. Um, I didn't, I haven't been working in photography full time for very long. I've only been doing it full time for about two years. Oh, Before wow. that, I was actually in school studying a PhD in psychology. <laughs> so I taught in university. I taught statistics, if you can imagine. Um, and I, I taught psychology and um, relationship psychology. Huh. Yeah. No kidding. Not to derail you, but I actually have my master's in clinical psychology, and I, I wrote my master's thesis 
Um, I developed and validated an anxiety detection measure for elderly adults, and it's published in the Journal of Anxiety. So no way. There you go. I know a little bit about the pain that you went through to do that because I decided that I would develop a measure to understand unforgiveness. Mm. And so it just got published. I, I forget where it got published. There's a, a few different spots on um, it. Uh, a meta-analysis on, on forgiveness and unforgiveness ended up in psychology and health. So That's anyway, so cool. yeah, super <laughs> geeky, but yeah, I know, I know way too well the pain that goes into trying to develop a measure for a theoretical construct that we basically just made up, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. So how did you transition from this world of, you know, psychology and academia to photography? Yeah, that's a great question. Honestly, I, um, I've always had a camera. I, I have children. I love taking pictures of my kids. But one day, um, this acquaintance of mine that I, I really didn't even know at the time, I'd been seeing him post pictures of the Milky Way on Facebook and I messaged him one day and I said, you have to teach me how to do this. And he said, sure, I'm going out tomorrow if you want to come. So I did. Um, I had a Canon Rebel something or other at the time, a little crop sensor camera. And um, he let me borrow a lens. It was the middle of winter. I didn't even have any kind of composition to speak of, but I took my first shot of the Milky Way. So like not even the interesting bits of the Milky Way, but you know, the bits we see in the winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Sure. And I was so completely mesmerized. I felt like somebody had just pulled back this curtain and allowed me to peer into the universe. And I bought my first full frame camera the next day. And then I just I just pursued it the way that I pursued my academics. I um, I studied it, I researched it, I practiced it, I practiced it again and again and again and again. But it didn't feel like work. I just I loved it so much, and it was such a a beautiful creative outlet for me. And um, I'm sure you can understand when I say that academia can be really boring and and really <laughs> dry and. You know, there were parts of it that I loved, but then there were parts of it that just felt very um, repetitive. Mm -hmm. And having that creative outlet was really amazing. So, yeah, I did that. And then I started teaching photography, mostly night photography, because that's what I love to do. And I was teaching part time while I was teaching statistics and, and all that other stuff. But it's way more fun teaching uh, photography than psychology because people who are doing photography are there because they're so passionate about it. And you're basically just giving them the tools to realize their own creative visions. And that's super rewarding. Whereas in academia, you may have some students that are really internally motivated, but then you also have some people that take courses because they're required or, you know, they're not sure where they want to be in life. And so it's a real mix of of um, personalities and and needs, but photography yeah. is really rewarding to teach. Have you have you found that your um, education and background in psychology has uh, been something that you've been able to leverage as a teacher and also as a photographer? 
I'm sure that it comes in all the time. I think, I think when you study psychology for 12 years, it just becomes part of you. Right. I think that there's lots of ways that that gives me greater understanding of people. You know, sometimes their fears or anxieties, um, and can help me find the right tools to help people overcome certain obstacles. For sure. Yeah. No doubt that that's a big part of it. Yeah. Have you have you found that? Um... You ever leverage your background in psychology to kind of um, analyze uh, <laughs> the motivations of other photographers or of, your, of yourself, <laughs> or like because that's something I find myself doing all the time, and I've actually written about it a little bit, um, just and mostly in relation to um, you know things like compositing and, and things of that nature. I find it fascinating to think about you know why people do what they do. Um, I want, do you, have you experienced that at all? Or am I just a weirdo? (laughs) (laughs) I think we're all weirdos. Okay. Come on. If you talk to any photographer, hands down, if they're a landscape photographer, they're a weirdo. We sleep in our cars on purpose. You know, we're not homeless for the most part. I don't think, but we do, we, you know, we go and put ourselves through all kinds of torture to get a shot. So I think we like it. And we, yeah, that's the thing. We enjoy the suffering, right? Um, so, but yeah, I think that we're all armchair psychologists, you know, whether we've studied it or studied it or not, it, that's kind of irrelevant. You know, we're always interested in what makes other people tick. So the fact that you and I have a few extra tools to do that with is, is, um, you know, <laughs> that's it's just a bless- a, it's a blessing an, an advantage, you know, um, but yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm sure we do it and probably do it in ways that we're not even aware of. Right. It's funny. Well, I know that um, you recently just got back from a trip um, where you were on a sailboat uh, called uh, the Maiden, I believe. And um, I was really excited to talk to you about uh, that trip, but also maybe uh, like, why did you even do the trip and kind of what was it like? And I know I know you've got a lot of enthusiasm for from coming just coming back from it. So I'd love to hear about that from you. Awesome. Yeah. So I got back an hour and a half ago. and <laughs> That's awesome. I don't normally sleep a lot, but to say that I haven't slept much in the last week would be a massive understatement. Um, so I'll, I'll do my best to try to, um, yeah, share some of this experience with you, which was so mind-blowing for me. I got a call uh, maybe five days before the project started that, uh, from Sony, they asked me if I'd be interested in going to document, um, a sailing voyage on a boat called Maiden that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't heard of up to that point. And it would be sailing from San Francisco to Los Angeles. So, um, in part of my research, I got to learn a little bit about Maiden. It was the first sailboat that competed in the Whitbread round the world race in 1989, crewed entirely by women. Mm. At that time, the only time that women could do that race was as cooks. So there was no sailing positions for women. And skipper Tracy Edwards, um, in one of the, one of the earlier races before 1989, she, got a chance to go on one of the boats, but it was as a cook (laughs) and she was terribly unsatisfied with that. So (laughs) she put together this all female crew. This race is insane. 
it's 33,000 miles. It takes them nine months to complete. They go through some of the most treacherous seas that you can possibly imagine. And being on the boat, on her boat, on Maiden, was so eye-opening, so fascinating. And um, yeah, so after the race, um, there is a documentary that's been released about this, by the way. It's out in theaters right now. I've seen it like 12 times. I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I loved it so much that I just kept like watching it and watching it anyway. And I had actually a chance to meet two of the women who were on the original crew when I was in San Francisco, Joe Gooding and Angela Heath. And they are just, they're as, as amazing as they are in the film. So um, I'll tell you more about that. So yeah, I really had no idea what I was getting into um, when I signed up for this project. And um like a few days before, maybe four days before it was about to start, I got an email that said, Rachel must be able to swim. (laughs) Rachel Rachel must participate in man overboard training. And I'm thinking, oh no, like, oh no, I'm going to end. I'm really clumsy. Okay. (laughs) I'm, I have two left feet or four left feet. I don't know. Like, I don't even know. I'm constantly bruised. I'm constantly falling and they want me to have expensive equipment on a boat that's moving and, you know, healing side to side. Like this is just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) So anyway, so I was a little nervous about that, but I'm like, okay, yeah, I can swim. Like if I, if I must, I can, I'm a certified diver. So, you know, I'm sure I'll get by. Um, and then, um, And then like the next day, I got another email with more details about what I would be doing. And they said that I would have crew duties. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I've never been on a sailboat before, but yeah, I can, I can clean up. Yeah, I can do some, I can do some help these ladies if they ask me to cook, because that's a whole other thing. But I can, (laughs) you know, I can at least swab the decks, you know? Sure. Um, So, so you can just imagine my shock and horror when I found out that all girls do all jobs on this boat and that I wasn't just going to be cooking and cleaning. Yes, I would be doing both of those, but I would also be at the helm and I would be trimming sails and I would be involved in every part of what they're doing. So Maiden's current mission is sailing around the world, raising money for women's education. And they do all kinds of really amazing projects including bringing clean, fresh water into villages where maybe it's not accessible, um, building the resources for girls to get an education so they can break the cycle of poverty. Like the work that they're doing is absolutely inspiring. And they're doing it from this platform, Maiden, this legendary boat, you know, um, and the women that are on it are all they're rock stars. They're just so amazing. Like I always thought that I was this big adventurer, you know, I climb mountains and I have a pilot's license and I do things that are, you know, that some people think are kind of scary, <laughs> but these women, they make me look vanilla, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, oh, they're just so, so inspiring. The stuff that they can do just totally blows my mind. Um, yeah. So I yeah, I got to do all of it. I got to experience what it was like to live and work on the well, live and be part of the crew on this boat. Um and I got to see the work that they're doing and I hope that 
I can give that work a voice because it's just really, really amazing to me um, how each one of these girls is champion. They're a champion for a charity. They're a champion for women's education, for opportunities, and and they're doing it all while sailing. And it's this hugely challenging job. So they so there's like a, a nonprofit that they're operating under for this, yeah. and and are they are the crew members are they all like paid staff of this nonprofit or? So I'm not actually sure how that works. I didn't ask those questions. Um, I think, um, so when Maiden originally sailed, she, uh, Tracy Edwards had to raise something like a million pounds to finance the race. And it was um, King Hussein of Jordan that ended up financing her after she spent three years trying to raise the funds. That's interesting. And his granddaughter now is helping to continue that legacy. So um, she, when Tracy found this boat again, it was actually only about three years ago, she found it in a shipyard somewhere and it needed restoration. So King Hussein's granddaughter um, has uh, offered the funds to restore the boat and then to finance this project. So that's yeah. cool. So, uh, obviously you've talked about how you had to basically be one of, one of the crew members. Um, but I'm assuming you also had the duty of, uh, taking a couple of pictures now and then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did. Well, (laughs) as I hung on for dear life, trying not to fall off the boat. Um, yeah. And uh, so this is completely out of my realm of experience because usually I'm sitting with my tripod and I have all the time in the world and I'm probably blending several images together and, you know, waiting for the light and stuff like that. And on a boat, you don't have any of those luxuries, obviously. It was no. all fashion and, and we were moving and I was just trying to not fall off. I was harnessed in most of the time. So I had a harness and I would clip onto the boat and then that would allow me to move around. And at least if, you know, we hit a wave or, you know, I got thrown or bumped or clumsily fell off that I wasn't going to go very far. Um, but I was doing the whole, like this whole time I, I did a lot of video work as well. And I had a gimbal and my camera and the lens and, you know, that was, it was hard for me to move around on the boat. So really, really different kind of photography than what I'm used to doing. Um, and I'm still, I'm still downloading the 10 cards. I think I brought 10 SD cards with me, 64 gigs each. And I filled all of them. That's a lot of data. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of work to do to just see what I have. They probably have three pictures that look good or something, you know. 6.4 terabytes. Is that what that is? It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the photography side of it was a real challenge for me and something completely out of my comfort zone. And yet I loved it. I really, really loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Man, I've—I mean, I think most photographers have never had the opportunity to do to do a project of that of that style or that type. Um, it sounds like it was something fairly new for you as well. Like, have you done mm-hmm. anything? Have you done anything remotely similar to that in the past? No, no. And honestly, I've worked on projects that are meaningful to me, but I've never worked on a project that I felt was this important you know, that I was able to use 
my skills in whatever way to bring a voice to what they're doing. Um, to me, that's probably the most amazing part of this whole experience is that I get to be part of that. You know, I get to share that message with the world about what the maiden is doing and, um, and how incredible these, how incredible these women are. I still get emotional thinking about it. So (laughs) you have really caught me at the end of my trip, um, slightly sleep deprived and still processing everything that I've experienced. Yeah. What, what was kind of your approach to encapsulating all of that emotion and all of that, uh, the importance of that mission to you? Like, how did you, what was your approach to that as a, as a photographer? I think, um, (laughs) it was, it was interesting. I mean, there was a lot going on the very first day that we set out. Um, we, we encountered a whole pod of dolphins. This was like, it was incredible. They were swimming alongside the boat, they were jumping and the crew was saying that they've never seen this much wildlife on, on any of the legs so far. So it was really special. And then, you know, we saw some whales breaching and then they were, you know, they breached a little closer and I'm sitting on the back of the, on the bow of the boat. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sitting on the back of the boat. And and I'm, you know, kind of like making some adjustments and trying to figure out, you know, the best way to capture all of this on video and switching between video and stills. And then all of a sudden, um, one of the crewmen on the front of the boat, Erica, she yells, hard to port, hard to port, whale. <laughs> and the boat just like um, Courtney's on, at the helm and she just starts cranking it over, cranking it over. And in slow motion, as if I was having an out of body experience, I just start seeing my legs slide toward the, like the edge of the boat. Like <laughs> I was just going to slide right off. And then I heard the skipper yell, hard to starboard, hard to starboard. And the whole boat starts going the other way. Apparently a whale breached right in front of the boat. We were within inches of this humpback whale. Oh, you wow. know? It was really, really incredible. So I think it was a, a lot of reactions. Like um, you just, I felt like I was just, um, you're there in all these moments that happen so quickly. It's not like you get to plan anything, mm-hmm. you know, you have to just react and you have to just be present and, and try to take it all in. So I guess, I guess to, to answer your question, it's not like I had a strategy, you know, I was just basically trying to hang on to the boat and still, you know, get, get what I needed to show what they were doing. Yeah. How did your experience as a, a night, photographer and a landscape photographer inform your uh the way that you tried to capture different moments ah okay so I've also been working on a little personal project on the side um, to spend 100 nights under the stars so I have spent a lot of time outside and and doing night photography this year so being on this boat, my my watch happened to be between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. So I would watch sunset, twilight, and then the stars would come out. And the first night of my watch, we were literally charting a course straight to the Milky Way, which I could <laughs> see with my eyes. It was like it was so wild as a as somebody who's so passionate about you know astrophotography, night sky photography. 
And I really felt like, how, like, you know, we're really moving on this boat. We're, we're doing about 10 knots and there's lots of waves and bumps. And so the first night I turned on bright monitoring. I don't know if you're familiar with that function on a Sony camera, but it's kind of like, um, through some sort of internal magic, it boosts the gain so that you can see the, you can see the core of the Milky Way in real time. It's got like a little bit of a leg. It's like watching a video with a little bit of leg. Is that um, must be in like the Sony A7 or three? Because I have the A7 or two, and I'm like, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Definitely one. in all of the Mark III cameras. Yeah, yeah. so it's in the nine and and the R3. It, it's really cool. So, what I usually use it for is finding a composition. Sure. Um, basically, I can turn that on and it's like having night vision, right? Yeah. So you can see everything. You can see your foreground elements. You can see the core of the Milky Way. You can see how everything lines up. You can't use it to focus, but you can see, you can use it to make a composition. So here I am on the back of this boat and I turned on bright monitoring and then I took a video <laughs> <laughs> with my phone of the back of my camera because I like, I don't know if anybody can really comprehend how beautiful that was. Um, and at the same time that I'm seeing this Milky Way, like right right alongside our sails, there was bioluminescent plankton in the water. Oh, sweet. And not a ton of it, but just like if you just watched for just a minute over the side, you'd see these like glowing orbs uh, that would just sort of pass you know, and it was like there was stars above and stars in the water. That's it was so cool. Really magical, like nothing I've ever experienced. And yeah, I had to find some way to document it. So that's what I did the first night. The second night, I actually um, just cranked the ISO on video and I tried to video record. I have no idea how that's going to turn out, but <laughs> yeah, I just I just had to find some way to record what I was seeing because it was so unique and so special and I'm on this iconic boat and I'm out somewhere in the Pacific Ocean and literally charting a course for the Milky Way. It was so it was a beautiful experience. That sounds like a pretty cool uh, title for a photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, I'm also curious, like, uh, did you find it difficult to um, capture some of the scenes that you wanted to normally shoot? Because I'm assuming you like really couldn't use a tripod because, you know, the boat's waving around all the time and so you're probably doing a lot of hand holds the tripod down so the tr that tripod was out of the question i actually um <laughs> gave it to a kind soul to take from la or san francisco to la for me uh, by air just because there was zero room on the boat this boat was so tight there were 10 of us in there yeah. and my, I just have to describe a few things to you to give you an idea. My bed was this little shelf and the little shelf had a pulley system on it because if you were to sleep in a shelf in a boat that, that heals from side to side, you would fall out. So they have like a rope and pulley system that would, that would pull one side of it up so that you're kind of more sleeping in like a wedge oh, uh -huh. against the wall. And it wasn't much wider than me. And, um, this, the skipper, Wendy, she wouldn't 
allow us to sleep with our heads towards the bow of the boat because if we hit something, then we could potentially break our necks. Mm. So my little shelf was um, kind of in a cupboard. I felt a little bit like Harry Potter, you know, <laughs> like sleeping in this little cupboard under the stairs right. only it was under, under the boat. Um, and so I had to crawl into this small opening and then pull this rope behind me um, so that the my little shelf would come up and I would be all tucked in. And it was kind of like the size of maybe a small coffin. So <laughs> my second morning, I was trying to get up for a watch. I had 15 minutes to get up on deck and my little pulley wasn't working and I was trapped in my bed <laughs> and there's no space to do anything. So I'm like, how am I going to get out of here? And then, I'm, you know, there's somebody in the bunk below me who's probably only been sleeping for two hours. And yeah, so it was really crazy that way. The galley was only wide enough for two people to stand in. So if, if I stood right next to somebody touching somebody, then the, then two of us could stand in the galley. And the stove was on like a, like a rocker or like a gimbal. And so every time the boat healed, the stove could stay level, but relative to everything else, it looked crazy, you know? <laughs> so they're boiling things on the stove. They're making full meals, you know, with, we had pasta and vegetables and bacon and eggs, you know, like we cooked full meals and the stove was all over the place. I can't even imagine being on rougher seas because they actually have like a a, tie, a thing that um, they can tie themselves to the stove when the seas get rough. Oh, wow. Can you just imagine cooking like that? No, and like you're, you're constantly oh, like chasing God. the food like, oh, it's over there now. Oh, nope, it's over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, never mind chasing the food. What about the knife that you set down on the on the counter that just goes sailing away right. because the boat's healed in another direction now, right? right? So, yeah, it was crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. What they so this boat's really small space, and they're they are so harmonious in there. You know, they all depend on each other, and they're a family, and they're a really tight unit, and. It was really cool to see that. Yeah, were you were so, you able to uh, to capture any of of kind of some of that yeah, subtlety I, that you were kind of a, kind of witnessed? Were you able to capture any of that on your on camera? For sure. I mean, I basically stalked around um, the whole time with like video rolling all the time. Nice. Um, the last morning that I got up for a watch, the fog had rolled in. Um, when I was sleeping, and it was so thick that they that they were totally sailing by instruments and our skipper had fallen asleep at the nav station because she'd been up all night and all day, you know, she'd probably not had much sleep. Um, yeah. And so that would be a cool photo. <laughs> I, I, I got most everything on video. Uh -huh. I, I did a lot of video, which isn't even what I normally do, but sure. with everything, everything being so much in motion and there's so much, um, activity and everything going on i i really felt video was was this the best way to go and yeah. if i'm being honest it was really hard to switch from video to stills because i brought two cameras and i had one that i just had on straps around my neck and i held my 
so I had one for video, one for stills, and the one for video was on a gimbal. And I oh. honestly couldn't manage two cameras because there was just so much movement. Like I had to have one hand to like keep me on the boat. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So what are you what are you planning on doing with this material? Um, so I, I'm writing a couple of articles right now and, um, hopefully going to be sharing a lot of these pictures and videos on the Sony alpha channels. So, um, hopefully there's enough that I filmed for some YouTube content, for some Instagram content and, uh, you know, all, all of their social media. So you should be able to see it, uh, coming out over the next few weeks, um, on the Sony alpha channels. That's cool. So maybe that's a good uh, segue to talk a little bit about um, the Sony Alpha uh, female program and kind of how you how you got involved with uh, Sony in the first place. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the Sony Alpha Female Creator and Residence Program is a really amazing opportunity for women. Sony is offering um, basically a like a sponsorship to four photographers and two videographers. And it, and this sponsorship includes a $25,000 grant to help them take their business to that next step. Um, $5,000 in equipment and then mentorship with women who are established in the industry. Um, such just such a fabulous um, program. The applications are still open right now. They close September fifteenth. So, um, de- depending on when this gets aired, I totally encourage women to get out there and apply. Yeah, yeah, it's just a huge opportunity. So I just got asked recently to be part of the mentorship for these ladies, and I'm so thrilled to be able to do that. I'm not sure what that's going to look like right now because they're still going through the application process. So um, once they find, you know, once they choose the successful applicants, then we'll start finding ways to work together, I'm sure. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I I love the opportunity and ability to work with women. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love working with everybody, but... I don't know. I've talked to a lot of a lot of women in my in my time teaching and and sometimes they're afraid to participate fully when they're around guys, you know? They they feel like maybe they're not going to keep up hiking and maybe they shouldn't maybe they should do private lessons because they don't think that they can keep up on hikes and that kind of thing. So, I think women not I think women sometimes have fears or anxieties that might hold them back and giving them, um, giving them a space to work with other women is really beneficial. Yeah. So I also run, um, like female only workshops. So I have many, many workshops, I think 13 workshops scheduled between now and May and three of them are devoted to just women. That's really cool. And have you, have you found that, uh, women, um, appreciate that there's like a women only workshop option? Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of women are looking for a community, mm-hmm. uh, and being able to go on a workshop for a week with a group of like-minded people is a, 
is a really amazing opportunity to build connections and and establish some community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's a it's a different kind of atmosphere than it is when you have mixed groups. So definitely um, a lot more <laughs> like giggling and fun and female energy and also a lot of um, collaboration and they stay in touch with each other and they they become support systems for each other and that's really special to see as well yeah that's great uh have you um have you ever done any collaborations where you're teaching uh women only workshops with other women yeah so um Jessica Santos is going to be um, coming to help me with my ladies workshop in September. And then we are co-hosting another one um, in April. So yeah, I sometimes collaborate with other, um, with other creatives to run workshops. That's great. So I was, I was also curious, um, how did you even get started with Sony? Cause I, like you said, you've only been doing, full-time photography for two years now. So how did, how did that relationship come to be a thing? Yeah. I still pinch myself about that sometimes. Um, (laughs) pretty much every day, actually. Um, one day somebody reached out to me from Sony and she said, hi, my name is Nicole. I'm with the Sony Alpha Imaging Collective, and I'd like to have a chat with you. And this was over email. And I didn't know what the what the collective was. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, obviously pretty flattered that Sony even knew who I was, you know, that they were interested in speaking with me. And I tried to low-key do a little research, you know, uh, but without, like, <laughs> them realizing that I was, like, trying to figure out what was going on. I don't know why. But it's, you know, so I asked around, asked some friends and I didn't have a lot of information on the collective. And I think at the time the collective was pretty new anyway. And yeah. And then, so we had a conversation, I guess, um, somebody who was already in the collective had mentioned that they really appreciated my work and that maybe Sony, you know, at the head of the collective might also appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I guess she kind of like was watching me and watching my work and, That's cool. and, and, and reached out to me. So yeah, crazy. Absolutely. And how, how long ago was that? And that was January of last year. So almost, oh, wow, almost cool. two years ago. I'm curious, like since that's happened, how has that relationship with a major uh, camera manufacturer, how has that changed uh, your your career path as a photographer? Oh my gosh, I don't even know if I can really fully, um, <laughs> really fully even comprehend that. Um, they're so supportive. They're, they're actually a family more than anything. Um, the collective is like having a hundred family members and everybody that works in Sony is so genuinely interested in, in my success in our success in the collective in supporting us and supporting our projects. Um, you know, all of the images that Sony uses are licensed from the collective and, um, I'm able to, um, Sony will, provide gear that I can use in my workshops to let people try the latest 
Sony cameras and lenses. That's mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. exciting. So it's it's a really um, it's a really collaborative relationship that we have, and it's just allowed me to grow in so many ways that I never would have expected. You know, you have the influence of so many other brilliant creatives around you. Um, the support of Sony, like if I if I go somewhere, I can borrow a camera or a lens. You know, I I borrowed cameras on this project. I wanted something that was going to shoot fast. I borrowed the A9 and mm-hmm. I borrowed the RX100 Mark 7. So I'm able to I'm able to get the I'm able to have the tools to help me do the best job. I have yeah. this huge support network and I have all of this influence from all of these other creatives and I think that's just that's just part of it. So that's awesome. Were you teaching uh, workshops uh, before this happened, or yeah. Did that? Yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. I've uh, been teaching uh, part time for uh, probably five or six years. Teaching photography. Okay. So, awesome. That's cool. How how have you um, how have you seen uh, the industry change in that short amount of time that you've been doing it uh, as a professional? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. I think, I think I'm. I've been in just this whirlwind of um, of projects. I've seen a lot more support for women in photography, especially because I'm, you know, I'm at the ground level, working with Sony with the Sony Alpha Female Creator in Residence program. I think really positive changes. I'm, you know, being with Sony, I see a lot of. Um, focus on community and that never used to be a thing in in our industry I don't think mm-hmm. not a focus anyway there may have been pockets of community but I think Sony has really um, has really championed that and they have all kinds of community events and chances for people to get together and and really be collaborative so I think that's a really positive change yeah that's great um I I'm I'm actually a Sony Sony guy myself, so it's always cool to hear people talk about their experience with Sony as a not just as a camera system, but uh it sounds like, you know, what you're describing is more than just like brand loyalty. Like it's mm-hmm. it's family, which yeah. I think is something that most photographers can't really say they've experienced uh, with a relationship with the, their camera system in that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you been to condo yet? Nope. Don't even know what okay. that is. So. Okay. Oh, you don't know what that is? Ah, okay. So condo is like, it's like summer camp for creatives. It's so cool. There's so many classes that you can do. So Sony puts on this big event um, there's many, many, many classes you can take. This year, they even had Chris Burkhard um, taking people up for some aerial photography. Now, not everybody got to do that because there was a lot of people at the event, but you know, we've done everything from underwater photography. There's night classes. There's portrait stuff. Mm-hmm. There's incredible sets. You can you can sign out any gear that you want to try, mm-hmm. and just you know, go, go and play and shoot like any, you can use anything. So they had the A7R Mark IV at condo that hasn't even been released yet, but we were all playing with them at at condo. Um, 
again, it's a chance to meet other people in the industry, to develop relationships, um, to collaborate. You know, there's so many people that I got to meet and talk to that I've, you know, I've met on Instagram and I got to meet them in person. Um, it's a really, really special event. They just had uh, Condo 3. They're definitely going to have Condo 4 next year. I have no idea when the dates are are going to be, but definitely watch for that because it's, yeah, you'll love it. That sounds really cool. And maybe I could uh, record some podcasts while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you would have, yeah, you would have tons of inspiration. Yeah, so. that would be awesome. Um, I took all kinds of classes. Like I even took stop motion photography classes. Oh, cool. Carolyn yeah. Like crazy. Um, so it's a, it's a chance for you to really stretch your comfort zone. You know, I'm a night photographer and a tripod shooter and I was working with stop motion and taking run and gun video classes. <laughs> and yeah, it was really, it's a chance to kind of push yourself into a new area and yeah, totally fun to meet so many, so many people who are part of this community and who have that similar mindset. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds amazing. Uh, sounds like something worth checking out for sure. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on, on Instagram? We've kind of like touched on <laughs> composite. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, what is your relationship with Instagram? That's actually something that, uh, I think a few people, a few listeners have kind of wondered about, cause I know, you have a fairly large account on Instagram and I'm, I'm sure that Instagram has probably been at least for the business side of your photography, it's been a, of a, a positive thing, but, it, but I'm curious, like what's your relationship with the platform like? Mm. So I think when I first started out, my relationship might've been a little different than it is now. Um, mm-hmm. I think like you mentioned, it, I probably went through a phase of comparing myself to other people, comparing my my growth or whatever. But now I think I've really embraced it as a platform for community. And when you, when you kind of like let go of how many likes something's getting, especially if it's fake news, it still bothers me. Okay. It still really bothers me if my fake news gets more likes than my other. (laughs) If you can let go of it a little bit, it's, it's, it's been such a blessing in my life. Um, I've met some really amazing people, people that inspire me and, and those relationships have turned into relationships in the, in the real world, you know, the non Instagram world. Sure. And so I've, I've really come to appreciate it. Yeah. It's It's a place for community for me. Yeah. So you mentioned that kind of your, it's changed for you over time. I'm curious, have you, do you see how do I phrase this? Is there anything about the platform that kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth? Yeah, I think for sure. Just like <laughs> anything else, there's always pros and cons, right? It's it's never all rainbows and unicorns for as much as we might like that to be the case. It hasn't been a lot of negatives for me. I think when I was first starting out, um, you know, you, you just want to be seen. You want to put your work out there. You want, I think that's, that was maybe more of a focus when I first started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
maybe it's that I have the luxury that I don't have to really worry about it, that I can enjoy it more as a, as a platform, uh, for community. Mm -hmm. I think, I think for some people it has some potential to be negative, you know, when you, you know, just like everything we've talked about, when you see things as you see a lot of fake news, <laughs> I call it fake news because for me, that's what it is, right? Okay. But it, that sounds judgmental and I don't really mean it to be. But when you see images that are, that are composited and you see so many that you don't really understand that, that, that they're composites, um, that could potentially be hard for some people. Like this woman I had a conversation with at Condo, she maybe doesn't understand that her work is amazing and beautiful. And the only difference between her work and someone else's work is maybe the amount of Photoshop that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that could be a downside. Um, And, you know, there's a, there's a book I really, really like. It's called the subtle art of not giving an F. (laughs) Uh, And it's, it's really not about not caring. That's not, what the premise of the book is it's about choosing where to invest your energy mm-hmm. and and choosing where to you know where to get upset about things and where to not get upset about things right and um yeah where was i going with this one well no i think what you what you said that just resonated for me was you know the idea of what where what you what should you put your energy into because yeah, your values right so yeah. if you're if you go on Instagram for the gratification of getting likes and stuff, I think it's potentially pretty unhealthy because you have no that's that's an external locus of control. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that's not something you have control over. That's you're letting your self-worth be determined by by an algorithm basically because it's not about your work. It's about whether that algorithm's going to show people your work. So if you go on there with with the goal to share this thing that you've created and um, and connect with people and use it as a platform for a community and and these are things that are in your control if it's an internal locus of control then that can be a really beautiful thing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. but that's the way that it is with most things right so you really have to you have to figure out what your values are what what do you value what do you want to get out of it and choosing choosing what to care about yeah it's so funny because i know all of these things right like and i (laughs) and i know like what i put my energy into is what's you know i'm gonna get in what i put i'm gonna get out of it what i put into it right so if if i spend Mm -hmm. my time building community and praising other people and like looking for things to get excited about like that's gonna come back and reward me with the same kinds of things but there's just some part of me, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bad human, but there's just some part of me that always, like, I get caught up in kind of like you said, like you start seeing the fake news on Instagram or whatever you start. Um, and so like, I, I'm constantly not, con- okay, I shouldn't say constantly, I'd say like, once a month, I'll have to remind myself, like, why do you care about that? What is what is going on, dude? And then it's like, oh, yeah, right that's not worth your energy don't put energy into that and then i'm good but it's like why do i have to keep reminding myself of this you know <laughs> yeah i don't know i think that's pretty natural human tendency <laughs> like uh, we're we're always going to be making comparisons right um even if we're full of self confidence and most of us as you know as creatives are weird introverts with not a ton of confidence like let's be real um 
but maybe I'm just speaking from <laughs> personal experience here, but I know I'm definitely an introvert. I like, I can't wait to go hide in my corner um, after I've been talking or, you know, I finally consent to a, a podcast after six months or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think definitely a weird introvert. Um, so it's a natural thing to compare ourselves to other people and, you know, we just have to smarten up and not do that sometimes. You know, it's, uh, but it, it's this, it, it doesn't matter if it's Instagram or, or, um, going to the salon, you know, I compare myself to other, other women. I'm like, Oh wow, she's really pretty. I wish I was something else, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, we do that. And I think at some point you have to realize that what you're doing to yourself is not great. Right. It's not healthy. And, <laughs> and not, but I mean, it, it that's an ongoing thing, right? Oh, totally. I actually had to go in and just unfollow a bunch of accounts that were like, that would pop up in my feed and cause me to start, you know, that's fake. What's, that's ridiculous. I just... The easiest thing for me was like, why just unfollow the account? Like, then you won't see it and life is good. You know, (laughs) it was just a lot easier that way. Um, Because then I'm not Mm. tempted to make ridiculous comments that I regret later, which I've done Mm. many of times in my lifetime. But, uh, oh dear. uh, You know, the interesting thing about Instagram that I was wondering if you might speak to a little bit is that um, I've kind of noticed that a lot of people that maybe have been in photography for, you know, you know, people that predate social media, most of them have a pretty negative um, kind of viewpoint of Instagram and people that are popular on Instagram. They tend to have a, obviously I'm painting in broad brushstrokes here, but they tend to have more of a negative viewpoint of Instagram or as people that maybe are kind of newer to photography and maybe have only been doing it for for, you know, six or seven years or less kind of tend to have a, a more positive viewpoint of the platform. And I'm curious kind of if you've noticed that. And if so, like, what do you think is the cause of that? Hmm. Well, that's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about it in terms of, you know, how long somebody has been in the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, honestly, I think that there's been a, f- a shift in the focus in our industry and maybe people that like, and I'm just like, I'm just making stuff up here cause I'm a psychologist and I can do that. Um, but maybe people who, you know, predate social media, um, they're used to a more competitive, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share a location. I'm not going to share, um, an idea or a technique or whatever. Um, I need to set myself apart from somebody else or whatever. Maybe those, maybe those, ideas or values are incompatible with social media that is really about you know not it's it should be about building community so maybe that's one possibility no i i I think that's a possibility um i mean I've, i've talked to a lot of photographers that you know they had they've had they've built a community not on social media you know you know maybe it was in the forum days like back in the old NPN mm-hmm. days and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and the way they view Instagram is that it's all about self-promotion and, uh, you know, trying to 
get as many people to notice you as possible at any cost, um, which, you know, you do see that behavior. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard about stuff like, you know, public lands hates you and stuff like that. Like those, there are accounts that kind of show the world some of that behavior, um, which is interesting. And there's a lot of that stuff happening on social media where people are, you know, you hear it all the time, like doing it for the gram, you know, like people are, they're doing whatever it takes to get noticed in this very competitive and busy environment that we have today. So, um, mm. but I don't like that. Ne- that wasn't necessarily necessary in the past. You know, you, you got noticed by producing good work and getting the right people to see it. Um, it's just different. And I don't know if I could be completely wrong too. So, mm. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, that's an interesting thought. Um, for sure, there's people that are doing it for the gram. It's, you know, we, we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't say that if it wasn't the truth. I think I'm maybe a little bit sheltered in who that, who I choose to follow and, and, um, you know, I, public lands hates you. I've, I've never heard of that. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, cool. Um, and I, and I hear things, but I don't, I don't necessarily go seek them out. Um, I (laughs) I don't know if I have like enough self-esteem to go looking for, you know, something that might make me feel bad. So (laughs) I tend to surround myself with, you know, with things that make me feel good and people that make me feel good. So, um, maybe I just use the platform in a different way, but yeah, I really just try to, I mean, I follow 900 people, obviously I can't, or 900 accounts and I can't, I can't connect with 900 people on a regular basis, but I really do try to have real conversations. And, you know, when, just for example, when the Amazon was burning and I shared Christina Miedemeyer's post, um, and she talked about um, the role of the government at the time, uh, and her views on that. Mm-hmm. And somebody from Brazil messaged me who, who follows me. And he said, you know, I, I don't agree with this. And we had a conversation that lasted five days that went back and forth. And really it was about understanding each other's position. Mm-hmm. That's community to me. You know, that's a worldwide community. That's me having eyes and another country, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's pretty awesome. Being able, being able to understand other people's points of view and neither, neither one of us were pointing fingers or anything like that. And I really appreciated him saying like, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was an opportunity for me to learn something, you know, oh, yeah, and definitely. obviously an op- opportunity for him to learn as well. And I loved that it opened up a conversation and I've met people on Instagram and then in real life that I stay in touch with. And I've met people at talks who are now connected on Instagram and we stay in touch and I love that. Um, so yeah, I think how you use a platform is really going to shape your experience with it. And, um, yeah, I try not, I try not to involve myself in anything really negative because like I said, not very much self-esteem. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think have so much reserves, you know, I, I have to be careful uh, sure. how I invest that energy. I'm curious, you know, one of the listeners was curious if you've noticed, um, an impact on, uh, on the national park system 
in in Canada, you know, and, and specifically he was asking as social media changed the national parks in Canada similarly as to what's happened in the United States. Have you have you seen any shift there in terms of kind of increases in visitation or how people are are actually visiting and what they're doing when they're there? Have you noticed any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, for sure. I'm not sure if 100% of what I see can be attributed to social media. I mean, uh-huh. that's the world that I'm part of, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's everyone's um, experience. Mm-hmm. You know, Canada celebrated their 150th birthday last year, and there was um, free entrance to the national parks. Mm-hmm. And that increased traffic a lot. <laughs> you know, it, going to Banff in the summertime is kind of daunting. Uh, Lake Louise actually, Lake Louise terrifies me. There's like a, a town with with like 14 buildings and um, three stop signs or four stop signs or something. And they have these people like waving the traffic through, you know, they're trying to direct the traffic and they don't all use the same hand signals. They just sort of flap, you know, <laughs> And I get really stressed out as I approach the intersection. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're saying. I don't know if I'm supposed to go or stop or whatever. And, and it's <laughs> like, whatever, it's terrifying because there's so much traffic and and the town is really not, you know, equipped to handle that much traffic. But at the same time, we're promoting a free entrance to the national parks and and let's come and celebrate Canada's 150th birthday. So is it all social media? Probably not. Does social media contribute? Absolutely. But social media can also contribute in really, really positive ways. You know, we can use our voice. I can, I can tell people that follow me and connect with me and talk to me on this platform, how I leave no trace. You know, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? How do I have minimal impact on my environment? Um, so it's also an opportunity to educate people. Absolutely. Coming from a psychology background, I I understand that people who spend time outdoors have lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety. Um, they sleep better. It's better for our health to be connected with nature. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to restrict that in any way. I think better to educate people on how to be in nature and preserve it than to restrict it in some way, you know, to. Yeah. Have you heard that, um, that podcast episode on hidden brain about that, about, um, the impact of nature on, uh, on like all kinds of variables, including rates of depression and crime rates and like immune systems and stuff like that. No, but I've, I've, fully suspect that they found the more time you spend in nature, the lower all of that, that, that is. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It's fascinating though. It's called you 2.0, our better nature. It's, it was really good. I'll link it in the liner notes, but uh, cool. Yeah, no, I, I have a love hate relationship with social media. You know, I think like you said, it, it definitely can be used for lots of great things. And I love that you use it to educate um, your followers on, Hey, if you're going to go to these places, like these are things you should be thinking about. Cause that's, that's mm-hmm. absolutely something that, um, that I believe strongly in as well. Um, not sure if you've, um, uh, have you heard of the nature first movement? No. You want to tell me about it? Yeah, I can tell you about it. I mean, I've done a lot of, we've talked about it a bit on the podcast, but, um, it's actually something that, uh, a bunch of photographers here in Colorado, um, including myself, um, 
helped start around kind of just we kind of created our own seven principles kind of like leave no leave no trace but it was more around like nature photography and kind of similar similar goals like trying to get people to just think more about what impact we're having as photographers in nature um and stuff like that so i can i can send you a link to that and you can check it out but it's yeah this it sounds like you're like one of the principles is to like if you have a if you if you are influential like you should educate other people about the importance of these things so um that's cool that you're doing that. I try. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, not every not every post is a platform for it, but um, sure, you know, sure. even when I'm teaching, I'm I give people the rundown of where it's okay to step and where it's not okay to step, and um, and what my expectations are, and you know, it's not just about making sure you don't leave garbage somewhere, but you know, it goes goes a lot further than that. So it's it's just part of it's just part of being in a place and I think, yeah, the more people understand that and the more we can preserve, then the healthier everyone's going to be, the happier everyone's going to be. And, um, and the more we can all enjoy these places. Absolutely. Well, cool. So, um, kind of winding down who, who do you think, uh, the listeners would be interested in hearing from here on the podcast? Oh, I have a perfect suggestion for you. I like it. <laughs> I think that you should interview Amelia, Amalia, I can't say her name properly, Amalia Infante. She's the photographer and videographer on Maiden. Um, she can tell you so much more about what they're doing. And I watched her in action. She just dances around that boat like a fairy. You know, she <laughs> barely touches it. And and I'm like, I'm hanging on for dear life and I'm on my hands and knees and I've got one hand on the boat and one hand on my camera and I've got the, you know, I'm white knuckled and she's just like floating around <laughs> taking pictures and videos. So she was really inspiring for me. And she sails at the same time. She's not just a videographer and a photographer. She's helming the boat and trimming the sails and working on whatever needs to be worked on as they all do. So I was so extremely inspired by her. That's awesome. Can I make some more suggestions? Absolutely. Okay. So my friend David Wilder, he is a photographer who is colorblind. Oh, wow. And he has a really amazing story. And I think you should totally follow up with him. Um, can I make some more suggestions? There are some. There are so many people that just you totally can. Totally um, okay, um, Michael Hollander. Okay, who's from New York. He's um, a fellow member of the Alpha Collective, and he also works at B and H. So he, I have learned so much from him over the last few years. I think that would be a really fascinating conversation. And he's a total national parks geek. He um, is like really passionate about national parks and he's um, making it his mission to visit 10 new national parks every single year. And so far I think he's accomplishing his goal. So I think you'd probably really enjoy talking to him. Very cool. Anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so many. Um, one more member of the collective. Okay. So basically everybody in the collective inspired <laughs> some way so there's a hundred for you there's like 99 more um but one more is stan Moniz. okay he's 
a total gearhead. And if you want to talk gear, um, he, he has tried everything and he's got so much energy and so much enthusiasm and passion. I think you would really enjoy that conversation. Yeah, it's always it's always helpful when when people are actually excited to talk about photography. <laughs> yeah. So if you ever, you know, run out of inspiration, just like go through the list of people in the collective because they all bring something completely different to the table and um I haven't been able to meet and talk with every single person, but the ones that I have collaborated with and worked with and shot with, um, they all inspire me to grow in new ways. I've learned so much about social media and maybe that's why I love Instagram so much, you know, that I've had these really positive influences that have shown me how to use it in, in really positive ways. Um, and people that stretch me to grow in my own photography and yeah. No, that's great. Well, thanks Rachel, uh, for, for, you know, ranting with me uh, on various topics. And I'm really excited to see what kind of comes out of this, um, the sailboat trip you did. I'm excited to see those images. I think that would be really cool. Um, what, uh, I think I wasn't able to ask you this, but, um, the 100 nights under the stars, I think you had mentioned that you've got, you're going to do a gallery exhibit for that. Um, I, that's the plan. It'll be sometime next spring, likely, and it'll be in New York. And I will let you know more details as I know more details. Cool. Have you put any thought into like how you're going to do it? Like what kind of mediums you're going to present on or are you just in the beginning stages of thinking about it? I'm definitely in the beginning stages. Um, what I One thing I really wanted to be able to do was to have at least 15 minutes of night sky time lapses that I oh, could share. Cool. Because this will be in the Sony space. And my understanding is that there's you know a big screen where I could do that. Nice. And then there would also be um, an opportunity to have some stuff framed and hung and, you know, my yeah. favorite pieces or whatever. So, but I think to really get at that experience, that's one thing I really love about time-lapsing and I want to do a lot more of it is that it captures the experience of being out there in that moment in such an authentic mm-hmm. way. No, I think you're right. I love it. That's cool. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that exhibit. Um, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's always fun to just think about like having an exhibit of just your work. I think that's you know, I don't know that there's a sense of pride that comes with that, I think, you know? Yeah. It's also slightly terrifying. It's like <laughs> a little bit more terrifying than being on a podcast. So, um, yeah, <laughs> a certain amount of anxiety that goes with that as well, but absolutely, I'm one, of those, I'm one of those people that's, you know, I'm, if I, if I edit an image, you know, and I do a lot of blends, so I don't move my tripod, but sure. I'll, you know, I'll use the cl- the cloud that floated by 15 minutes ago in the same shot as the cloud that floated by, you know, 15 minutes later. And if I make a mistake in my blending, like th- that just totally, totally gets me. So my, my biggest fear would be to have some sort of gallery <laughs> exhibit where I've blown up these images and all you can see is some glaring blending flaw, you know, where I've got two of the same tree or some weird who knows what that you just don't see when it's small so yeah no it's uh that's legit fear i um i have a show coming up this month and uh i got i've got all my pieces in and 
there was one of them where I was like, oh, like that didn't really turn out the way I thought I would. <laughs> oh, well, you know, like, what are you going to do, right? Is it, is it life size? Like, it's, did you make it really big? It's like 24 by 36. I mean, it's, you it's know, big it's, enough. Yeah, 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 for sure. For think, sure. You think the size of the flaw, like, you know, the, the size of the canvas and the and therefore the flaw has any bearing on how much anxiety you feel because i feel like the bigger i make this thing if there's some sort of flaw in it the the more anxiety i'm gonna have well what i've come to realize is that generally speaking the general public doesn't notice that stuff as much as we do (laughs) um so that's a plus yeah so unless you were unless the entire uh guest list of people that are going to be at your show are all photographers i think you're gonna be okay yeah they're probably all <laughs> gonna be photographers <laughs> <laughs> well then i don't i don't know what you're you just oh, now, yep. now my anxiety is huge <laughs> well that's um sorry to hear that <laughs> <laughs> well i guess think about it you, this way you know any clinical psychologists that i could go to i mean i was gonna ask you the same thing for myself so <laughs> oh that's funny well rachel this has been a lot of fun i really appreciate you taking the time to uh to chat with me it's been it's been a good a good one all right i appreciate you having me on and your patience in uh scheduling oh no worries <laughs> <laughs> well thanks to rachel for joining us on the podcast i really enjoyed our discussion and i appreciate the advice and feedback that you gave me after we were done recording Hopefully we can do it again. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review over on iTunes. It's absolutely the 100% best way to support the podcast, other than Patreon, of course. And also, you can join the conversation over on Nature Photographers Network uh, and on Patreon. There's been some great comments and discussions worth checking out, so go look for both of those. Um, They'll be in the liner notes as well. Okay, well, I wanted to quickly thank our newest patron, QT Luang. Uh, QT is a fantastic photographer and book author, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, And uh, speaking of Patreon, uh, over on Patreon, we have been doing some really fun themed photo contests where patrons submit their photographs based on a theme. And uh, the winner of that theme, I try to give them some kind of reward, um, either through... Uh, a free thing or I'll mail you something special I try to make it cool so uh, the current theme is changing seasons it's absolutely my favorite time of the year uh, autumn so I guess if you're in the southern hemisphere it's you're transitioning into spring but uh, you know changing seasons so uh, let's see all those fantastic photographs over on our community board all right well as we have previously mentioned uh, we have reached one of our goals for the podcast I promised almost two years ago now that uh, once we reached the $1,000 a month level over on Patreon, that I would develop a Landscape Photography Conservation Award. Well, we have developed the criteria for that award, and I am actively seeking nominations. Nominations can be found uh, in the liner notes or over on my website in the blog. Um, Basically, uh, I'm receiving nominations up until uh, December 31st, 2019. And we're going to have a panel of judges uh, pick the winner. I'm not even going to pick the winner. So I'm totally out of it. 
you can learn more about uh, the Conservation Award and how to get involved in that in the liner notes. And um, it's pretty cool, man. We've we've received uh, several donations and lots of sponsorships uh, from listeners and and brands that are that kind of find value and alignment with the message that we have for responsible landscape photography. And uh, so, so far the award is over $1,500 and some amazing bonus prizes, including uh, Shimoda Designs. So Ian and his amazing team over at Shimoda have sent me the next generation of their 60 liter camera backpack, which I'm really excited to put through some tests this fall in the field. and Shimoda is donating to the winner of the Landscape Conservation Award a camera bag of their choice, a core unit, and a roller and accessory case, which is a $779 value. Thank you so much, Shimoda Designs. Also, uh, Reed Art and Imaging. So Reed is a fine art print lab located in Denver, Colorado, and uh, they are my print lab of choice when it comes to high-end acrylic prints. And Reed is donating to the winner a $500 credit towards the purchase of an acrylic print. So check out Reed, and I'll I'll have links to all this in the liner notes too. Uh, Next up is Tamron. The, uh, the camera lens manufacturer, they're donating to the winner a 45mm f1.8 uh, lens, which is a $600 value. And uh, Viewbug, they are uh, a popular photo sharing and contest website, and they're donating a Pro Plus membership to the winner of the award, which is a $179 value. And lastly, QT Luang is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. I've actually had the chance to uh, take a look at uh, QT Luang's book in person at my friend Sarah Marino's house. And I got to tell you, it's one of the best photo books um, on the market. It's fantastic. He's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's photographed every single national park in the United States. It's a really fantastic book. So check it out. Uh, the limited edition version is valued at $245. So thank you so much, QT uh, Luang, for donating that book. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not give a special shout out to some of the people that have made this award possible. This mighty group of supporters that have supported the podcast over on Patreon, we like to call them our podcast producers. Uh, they help shape the direction of the show through Google Hangouts that I host, and they're really keeping the show afloat with their contributions. Well, without further ado, let's give thanks to the following people. And if you recognize their names, I'd really encourage you to support what they're up to. You know, if you hear their name and you know them or you want to learn more about them, check them out. You know, like support them on social media, maybe sign up for one of their workshops, whatever it is. Like that's what this is all about. A high tide rises all boats. Thank you to Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, David Kingham, Anton Everine with Arc Panel, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Gary Randall, Frank Otto Peterson, and Michael Rung. Thank you guys so much. I, I can't do this podcast without your support. You guys are amazing. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. we got some amazing guests coming up, and I'm excited to tell you all about it. 
So next episode, we've got Alistair Ben. Uh, Alistair is one of my absolute favorite landscape photographers, and uh, I can't wait to share his episode with you. We had such a fun time, and he's such a cool dude. You're going to love that one. Last week, I recorded with the legendary photographer Ian Plant. He's up to some really exciting things, and I'm excited to share that episode with you. We've got, uh, actually today, I recorded with uh, Franca Gabler. She's a fantastic photographer who's, for lack of a better word, she's kind of obsessed with the Yosemite National Park, and um, we had a really great time talking about that and her approach to kind of uh, having a personal vision in such a popular photographic location. Uh, we've also got uh, Aaron Nace. He's the founder of Flurn. We've got him coming up. We've got Brenda Petrella. She's she's launching a new photo education website, um, and she's really closely aligned with the Nature First photography movement, and I'm excited to talk to her. And uh, we also have uh, Dan Hawk. He's a, he's a friend of mine and a patron of the podcast in living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm excited to, to sit down and talk to him as well. We got a lot more coming up and uh, thank you for your support of the podcast. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us and listening. See you next week.